Hey, mom friend, did you know that the two common things that mamas fear happening to them in their labors is first is the fear of having a bowel movement during labor. And the second is the fear of tearing. And oftentimes it is not the tear itself. That is something we fear happening, but it is the recovery after, which can be like a big ouchie. In today's episode, I will be talking about the fear of tearing. And if you have ever wondered what an episiotomy is and the difference between that and a perineal tear, then you're in the right place because I will be talking all about that today. I will also share four tips on how to decrease the chances of tearing while you are in labor. Okay, let's get into it. Hey mama, welcome to Simplify Birth and Motherhood. I am Amanda. I am a wife and mom of four. I have had a hospital birth, unexpected c-section a few home births and now i'm a birth advocate childbirth educator and your cheerleader in the toughest hood of them all motherhood do you wish you knew what options were available to you when becoming a new mom or adding more to the mix are you ready to nurture and build up your mom gut so you can be more confident educated and bold In this podcast, you will begin to understand, find support, and turn knowledge into power through education and resources for pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum, and for the early years of motherhood. If you are ready to get clarity to empower your birth and motherhood journey, then throw up your unbrushed hair, hike up your high-waisted pants, because sister, (laughs) I know you are wearing them. Put the baby in the ergo, and let's start feeding our God-given mom guts. See you inside. Fear in general is a very real thing in birth, and it comes in all different forms and shapes and sizes. And some fear pain itself, fear they won't be supported for their choices in birth, fear that our baby will undergo some type of stress, fear we won't be able to do it the way that we desire, or possibly it might happen again with our next birth, or even something so small such as the fear of tearing during birth. And oftentimes, fear is the root of some of these issues we face in labor. And we can all call this a part of what we as birth workers call the fear tension pain cycle and in my childbirth education class we go over that and what that looks like for you and we begin to work through that to get you to a place that is not just physically prepared for birth but also mentally prepared because that is also a huge huge factor when it comes to birth but whatever your shape or form of fear takes you it can cause stress and this stress hormone is called catecholamines which put us in a fight or flight state I've talked about this sympathetic and parasympathetic process in other episodes, but this is what can happen for us in the first stages of labor. When these hormones are high, it actually counteracts oxytocin, which is what we need for our uterus to contract, which is our bonding hormone, which is what we need in our postpartum immediately after and during the whole rest of our postpartum, especially while we breastfeed. It also has the potential to counteract our endorphins, which are natural painkillers and can cause blood flow to the uterus and placenta to decrease which in essence causes fetal distress. It is not until the second stage, which is what we will be talking about today, that we need these hormones to cause us to be alert, to give us physical strength, and they are actually beneficial to help speed up that labor or that process. So not good for the first stage because it slows things down and prolongs it, but beneficial for the second phase to speed things up. And the second phase, what I mean is the time we are pushing our baby out, baby's coming down the birth canal, we have now entered in the second phase of labor. 
but we have to get through the first part in order to get to the second part, right? (laughs) But once we get to the second stage, sometimes we are facing our fears head on, pun intended, and that is the fear of tearing. Maybe we have heard this can happen or have had tearing in the past. Maybe our previous births we've teared pretty well, or maybe it was just very tiny tears, or maybe we've never teared at all, and this is our first or maybe our second, and this is something that we are still particularly concerned about, and we don't want it happening. We don't want it happening again. So let's talk about that. So there are major differences between what we call a tear and what we call an episiotomy. And each have their drawbacks, but one carries more risk than the other. And I bet you can guess which one that is. So which one is worse? Well, both. It's not fun or doesn't feel good to tear, but it also isn't ideal if you have an episiotomy either. But tearing naturally when it's done by our own efforts and it just happens to happen has actually a possibility to go unnoticed by us in recovery, whereas an episiotomy is more noticeable, whether it is cut itself or the numbing process that takes place to be able to fix it. The difference between an episiotomy and tearing is one is done with a cut or with either a scalpel or maybe some scissors by the practitioner during labor. And the other is a tear that actually happens naturally. We call this a perineal tear. Both are done at the opening of the vagina down into the perineum and depending on the natural tear, it might also need stitches. So whether it's a episiotomy or it's a natural tear, depending on how how far in deep it goes. And both have degrees from first to fourth. So fourth being the most severe and causes the most damage to the surrounding areas. And they base these on how far and deep into the tissue they go. Most episiotomies are actually done to the second degree, so they go through the vaginal lining and into other vaginal tissues. Episiotomies started coming into play when forceps started to be used in the 1700s in order for them to be used they need to make a tear so that they can go ahead and fit it into the vaginal area then it slowly turned into being taught to obstetricians that these two inventions would benefit women if they are both used in birth they also believed that if an episiotomy was done it would actually cause less damage than if it tore naturally this is something that needs to be communicated if there is a chance that this will come up in labor Because sometimes some obstetricians, some practitioners just do this as routine or there are no really valid reasons for them to do it. But if they do need the things such as the forceps and things like that, they will go ahead and make those necessary tears if they need to, to use those other um, medical interventions. So meaning if you do not wish to have this done for any other reason than an emergency, Make that clear in your birth plan or have someone just reinforce your wishes during labor if they begin to see signs of that starting to happen or if the doctor hasn't expressed that they are wanting to do this for you in labor. But absolutely, under no circumstances, do not let them cut you if you have not given them consent. If they do, you do have a right to take that further up the chain to hold them accountable because this is completely unacceptable, especially if you make it very clear, whether it's verbally or in your birth plan, that you do not want this to happen, but yet they are trying to or they end up doing it and then you find out that they did it or they went against your wishes in any way. Do not 
do not give up on making sure that they are held accountable for that. So this cut is done right when baby is crowning and is pushing against the perineum area. The cut is done either vertically, there's more risk there, but it's easier to make, or at an angle. This is less likely to cause damage to the anus and sphincter area, but more difficult to repair. And immediately in recovery, it is stitched back up. Although you might not feel it when it happens, and especially if you're on the epidural, you might not even feel yourself tear, you might even not feel the episiotomy, but recovery is a little bit more prolonged with a episiotomy and it has the risk of causing more unnecessary damage and possibly infection, dysfunction in muscle and other tissues and increased pain during sex even after a full year. And some even say that the episiotomy hurt worse than birth itself. And a lot of times it has to do with the numbing agent that they use. Where if you tear naturally, the damage is usually less severe and the recovery time is not as prolonged. About up to 70% of women tear during labor. And most of that percentage is actually first-time moms. But tearing can literally happen to anyone. Even if you checked off all the boxes within your control to lessen the chance of it happening to you, sometimes it just ends up happening. Why? because baby's head is still stretching the vaginal opening as they are coming down and crowning. And when they do happen naturally, the tear is not as deep, like a first or possibly second degree. But most of the tears heal on their own. Just in your recovery, you might need to have some extra ice packs, some witch hazel sprays, pads, foam, or some possible stool softeners. Keeping it clean or dry or a cream to apply topically to protect the tear from stinging while using the restroom. Sometimes you can use your own nipple balm if it has some healing ingredients in it. That can also be used as a protectant around the wound in that area as well. Okay, so you're probably thinking like, yeah, that's all great and I completely understand that, but I still don't want to tear. Like, what are some things that I can do to prevent this from happening or make it less severe? Well, I'm going to tell you three tips to reduce tearing. Again, it's not a guarantee because even if you're a first, second, third, fourth, sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but then maybe you have another baby and it does happen. It just happens sometimes. So it's not necessarily a guarantee that no matter what you do, that it won't prevent tearing. But there are some things that we can do that might either lessen the tear or possibly might not cause you to tear at all. And the first one is breathing technique. We want to make sure that we have proper exhale distribution. When we are in the pushing phase of our labor, our breathing needs to change so that when we exhale, we are distributing that exhale in areas that cause effective pushing, that reflex is a little bit more powerful and a little bit more stronger in different areas that need it. The way I like to describe it is when you cough, when we cough, not only do we feel it in our abdomen, but we feel a slight pressure in the perineum area. And that perineum area is where we need to breathe out through. Some picture a J when they exhale. This means no purple pushing. This has the potential to cause more tearing. So now holding your breath and holding out for a push for 10 seconds is not ideal. And this is not going to prevent you from tearing. This is actually going to cause more of a higher risk for you to tear and possibly tear worse 
than if you would have just used proper breathing technique. Because you are the one who can and needs to control your breathing. This is the one thing that, one of the things that I highly, highly dislike when it comes to most of hospital births. Because when it is a guided push, meaning they are having you hold your breath as they count to 10, and they want you to pretty much hold that out, it's not an effective way at all to do this. And it's lessen the chances. It's not going to lessen the chances of you tearing. It's more work. And in some cases, mom is on your, you're on your back, which is also to defying gravity and also not ideal when it comes to lessening your chances of a tear. And this guided pushing also tends to happen when your body is not even ready to push. Just because you're at 10 centimeters doesn't mean we need to start pushing. Maybe our body needs time to catch up a little bit. But before, it will start sending all these signals that it is ready to push because that is something your body will tell you to do no matter what. No matter if there's Pitocin, no matter if there's an epidural, it will tell you. Especially if you do not have the epidural, you will most likely feel that shift. And usually signs are the grunting, the gag reflex. This is where a lot of times people vomit because of that sensitive gag reflex and intense pressure that you simply cannot resist the urge to push. The way I described it to my husband is like, like when you're going to the bathroom, like going number two, and just before you're about to, and this is probably a little too graphic, so I apologize in advance, but when you're just about to release, it's like you can't stop it from coming out. Like you just can't. Or when you need to use the bathroom so bad because maybe you had something spicy or maybe you've been holding it in for a while and you feel like if I do not get to the bathroom right now, I'm going to have a mess all up in here. So that's the same urge. It's like you just cannot prevent yourself from releasing. And when we get to this point, we want to be breathing all the way in and using our exhale to breathe baby out. And the best way to practice this is when you are having a bowel movement on the toilet. Instead of forcing it or holding your breath or pushing as hard as you can and holding your breath, we don't want you doing that in labor. So we want to make sure that we are not holding our breath and purple pushing. This is also why I recommend you make it very clear on your birth plan and you can phrase it like, please, no guided pushing. I will push at a pace that is comfortable for me. This is also something that needs to be communicated to your birth team and practice with because even if you have the epidural and don't feel the urge to push, you can still use this breathing technique or have the epidural turned down so that you can feel when that sensation is happening. So that way you know, okay, now is the time to push because or use this breathing technique. So this is very important why also in childbirth education classes that we get our partners and our birth team, whoever's going to be with us in the birth room involved in this so that they can guide us to do these breathing techniques and to be able to help us when we are in this phase of our labor to have a more effective breath, breathing, exhaling, and as well as helping baby come down and out. Second is supporting the perineum during pushing. We can do these things during our pushing to help support the perineum, such as applying two fingers to the perineum as it is bulging 
or during crowning because this is these two fingers alone literally are like magic this is like a technique alone that causes the body to have a more effective pushing it's like once you put those two fingers there it's like your body's like okay whew, i have this support like let's do this it's like that last push almost like oh thank god i have this support when you have those two fingers for some reason it just causes this magic like push or magic technique that helps it to be able to push effectively and to give it a little bit more that oomph as we are crowning and doing those things and you can also apply a wet warm washcloth to the area this will give the support you need but the warmth and moisture gives it the elasticity it needs to stretch this is where water bursts are very helpful, not just for the relaxation aspect, but also for the support of the elasticity of the perineum. Dry air is not going to be very helpful in situations like this. Other things you can do to help support the perineum during pushing is not pushing on your back. This means using different positions during the pushing phase that give you the momentum you need to direct the breath to the proper place. This would be squatting position, side lying if you have to lay down, pointing your knees inward and ankles out while you are on all fours. This would be less strain on the perineum tissues. Just try to avoid putting those legs in the stirrups because that is not going to be a good position for you. The next one we can do is perineum massages. The perineum area is just like any other muscle slash tissue area in our body. And sometimes we want our muscles to get stronger and to perform their best. So we condition them. This is the same truth that can be helpful for your perineum. And how we can do that is through perineum massages in our pregnancy before labor. We don't want to do this too early in our pregnancy, but definitely around 34 weeks, we want to maybe start doing these things if we want to. This is basically just a stretching of the tissues that will possibly cause little to no tearing or that it will promote better healing. You want to make sure you do this with clean hands and fingers well before attempting this. You may want to either use a mirror to help guide you and some lubricant for your fingers and thumbs and perineum areas such as coconut oil, olive oil, jojoba oil. You're going to use your thumbs and fingers to massage and stretch down and around the vaginal and perineum area gently. If this is your first time doing this, this might cause some slight burning or tingling sensation, which is normal, but the more you do it, the less likely it will cause you to be uncomfortable. But if it is too painful, draw back the movements a little bit and maybe not use as much um, pressure and um, just build up to it. But do gentle movements and apply gentle but firm pressure. If you're wanting to do this, you can read about how to do it or look it up, which I highly recommend you do because this is the potential. It has the potential to cause bruising, swelling, irritation, and can actually cause infection to the urethra if it's not done properly and safely, as well as with clean hands and fingers. So get underneath those fingernails, maybe clip back your fingernails a little bit, but make sure we are doing it properly, safely, and with cleanliness, because cleanliness is next to godliness. <laughs> but this is optional, and I say this because not everybody needs to do this, because it does not guarantee that it will prevent tearing. And as long as you have proper breathing, support the perineum and use time versus having time against you, then you'll be good. Which brings me to my last tip. Slow and steady wins the race. Use the time that you have, which means don't rush it. Slow and steady 
wins the race. And I say this repeatedly because when we are using the proper breathing technique, we sometimes have to slow down our breathing or use breathing techniques to not uh, rush it, to not rush the sensation of wanting just to push it out because we want it to be over because baby is crowning and it does literally feel like the ring of fire. We need to kind of use our breath to calm ourselves down and to just let it take its time. In this phase of our labor, with each breath, we are guiding our baby down. And in between that time, baby is drawing back a little a little bit. But then once we push more, it's gaining more traction. It's gaining more inches, centimeters. It's gaining a little bit more as it's slowly coming down, which is where we want to relax our pelvic floor in between that time. And as we breathe in our next urge to use those muscles to move baby further down and eventually to the vaginal opening and out. But while this is all happening, our body will tell you when it is time to bear down and direct your breathing to push baby out. This goes back to just listening to our bodies. And then it just won't. We'll have a period of time. We are almost kind of waiting for the instinctual urge to push right after we are in those rest periods. Then using one that is forced or we are rushing ourselves to push even when our body is not telling us to push. Meaning we have to wait for them to come naturally versus just pushing because we just want to be done or because somebody is telling us to push even though we don't necessarily have that instinctual urge which has a lot more power than us just forcing something out. And a gradual bearing down will allow the perineum to stretch in ways that it is natural naturally capable of doing. Rushing through this phase instead of letting your body give you its natural cues will likely cause more tearing and it will be more severe. And timing your pushing just right is also important. So when you feel that burning sensation when baby is crowning, don't apply so much exhale pressure. Take your time. I know the urge will be to just push because you just want that sensation to be done, but just drawing back a little bit on your breathing and using your breathing to slow down that pressure. So that way we do not cause unnecessary damage or tearing when we could just use our breathing and time to just go slow at it. (laughs) Especially if your baby shoulders are taking a little bit time to be born. You're going to want to slow down again on that breathing so that you do not create more of a tear. Well, Mama, that is all I have for you today. I'm hoping this will help you have more peace about entering into labor and feel more equipped to help your body do what it was created to do. If you have any questions that are more specific to your situation for pregnancy, birth, or postpartum, please take advantage of my free one-hour private coaching session. In our time together, I will answer any questions that you may have that will help you make an informed decision that is specific to your needs and your desires. Little or how much you share is really up to you. Just email cbecoaching at simplifiedbirthandmotherhood.com to receive more details and to jump on a call with me as soon as possible. Well, I will see you in our next episode. Bye for now. Hi again. Thank you so much for listening to this great episode. If you had learned something today, please make sure you leave a review in Apple Podcasts and share with another mom friend. Also, pop on over to our private Facebook group, sign up for our email list, and connect with me on social media, which are all linked in the description of this podcast. I can't wait to see you over there and connect with you. Now go listen to your mom gut, because wisdom will guide you, and chances are it won't let you down. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.